So I'm a scientist. And I'm not, but I'm curious about science. She asks a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And it's always fun for me to explain complex science in understandable ways. So So we we made made a podcast. podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to So I Married a Scientist. I'm Corey. And I'm Mel. Hey, Corey. What's up? First question of the day. Okay. Would you like to start a band with me? Absolutely. What would it be called? I've already picked out the name. Okay. So that's conditional on starting the band. All right. You have to name it this name because it's the best band name ever. All right. In my humble opinion. What is it? This is a lot of build up. All right. The name is Spider Goats. Spider Goats. Spider Goats. I recently saw a story where uh, a geneticist wanted to mass produce spider silk, but couldn't figure out how to do it with actual spiders because milking spiders for their silk takes a very long time. You need a ton of spiders. Nobody wants that many spiders around. You could actually turn into Spider-Man. Who knows what could happen? So he took spider genes and he put them in goats. And now his goats make spider silk in their milk in there. And then they take the milk out, obviously through traditional milking methods. And they spin it, and then the spider silk is left over. Isn't that the coolest thing That's ever? That's pretty awesome. That's like magic level. That's or like if just I was, science level, but if, yeah. If I was playing a video game, and the video game was like, do you want to combine your spiders and goats into the same creature so you would produce spider milk, I would say absolutely I would do that. Okay. But here's the big but. Okay, what's the but? The but is that I recently, to my shock and dismay, realized that Technically, spider goats are a genetically modified organism. Yeah, that's true. So those goats would be genetically modified. They had the spider silk gene inserted into their genome in order to allow them to produce the spider silk. So, yeah, it's a GMO. So I experienced a considerable level of cognitive dissonance here because my great love for the idea of spider goats has come into conflict internally with my dislike of GMOs. Okay. So I would like to talk about GMOs today. I would love to talk about GMOs as well. Great. I'm and very passionate about this particular topic. Okay. Well, this is going to get interesting. All right. Because I'd like to propose a different format to today's show. Okay. I have done my own research. Scary. <laughs> you told me I could be a scientist. Uh, yeah. If I really wanted to be one. Absolutely. And so I did research. Okay. And I don't think we could fairly call this a debate because half of what I found, I can't make heads or tails of because I'm not an actual scientist, only an amateur scientist. Okay. So I'm wondering if we can just discuss my research. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I've researched every plausible anti-GMO argument that I could find. Every single one of them. Well. That's a lot of them. That I could find in, you know, a modest window of time. Okay. I didn't spend weeks on this. Got it. I spend hours, so if I left anything out, I'm sorry, write, write to us and tell me what I missed. Generally, the anti-GMO arguments fell into three categories. The first category was the Franken-food category. Okay. The don't put gross stuff in my food, it's icky, I don't like it. Okay. And I sympathize with this. But, okay, <laughs> you <laughs> clearly have a lot to say, so that's, just let me get through the categories. And then we'll come back to it. So Frankenfood is number one. Category number two, Pandora's box argument, 
We don't know what we're unleashing into the world, specifically with environmental concerns. Okay. Okay. We don't know the long-term effects of this stuff. Sure. Okay. Category three, big bad corporation category. Mm, yeah. So the economic concerns and motivators behind GMOs and what it takes to recover substantial mm. research and development costs. All right. So independent of the science, whether or not this technology is good because it could potentially be abused. Well, that would be more of a Pandora's box argument. Oh, okay. The big bad corporation argument is that corporations are have to pay attention to their bottom line and their profit-making potential. Mm. So would they be more incentivized to do things that are not great for us long-term in order to make money? Got it. Okay. Okay. So we are clear on the three categories? Sure. Frankenfood, Pandora's box, big bad corporations. Okay. All right. So before we get started, I think we need to decide what kind of band we're going to start. What, what, I'm, I'm leaning toward metal. Well, you know my musical limitations, so it either needs to include a triangle or maybe a tambourine. I might be able to like step up and play the tambourine as long as it's like only quarter notes. Spider goats. Okay, that's yeah. I'm not gonna sign up for that. You're not. No, okay, that's you're not, not my, feeling that's it. That's not my sound. Okay. No. We'll, we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. Okay. Well, getting into these three categories. The first category is the Franken food, and there's really not a lot of research around this besides just kind of anecdotal psychological studies about you know people not liking the idea of GMOs because. You're messing with my food, man, and I don't like it. Okay. I think in order to start to broach this topic, we need to discuss what's actually going on in GMOs okay. and genetic engineering and the like, because you said something about people are putting crazy stuff in my food. Well, that, I mean, I don't really know how it works, but that's, that's what it seems like. not what genetic engineering does. You're not putting stuff in there. Well, so no, you're not taking a cucumber and adding something to the cucumber. By the time you get that cucumber, it's still a cucumber. Yeah, okay, I, I understand. You're not turning it into a spider cucumber unless you're trying that on purpose. Okay, so just walk me through the basics of, sure. of GMO. What, what is it? Okay, so basically the idea of genetic engineering is to accelerate the process of selection crosses and gene manipulation that has been going on since the beginning of agriculture for selection of new crops. Like the reason we have like so many f different types of apples. Yeah. Is because so, like, we've naturally hybridized them. Yeah, so basically people are taking advantage of the fact that they are aware of the genes and what they do and they can create gene insertions or gene deletions to accomplish the same thing that they could have done through just genetic crossing over generations and generations. So it speeds up a natural process in a lot of cases? So a lot of these things are things that they would do through natural crosses anyway. Yeah. But they're just saying, hey, we can eliminate all of that work and insert a very specific insertion or deletion into the genome and get the outcome that so we want. So, okay, so if you want to make a new kind of apple, you got to grow the tree and you got to grow the other kind of tree. It takes years and years. Yeah. Then you got to cross them together, grow yeah. a new tree. It takes more years. Right. That's a long time. And you have to hope that the mutation that you're looking for in that crossover happens. 
You have to hope that it happens. It's not guaranteed. You it's have just going to gonna randomly happen throughout the crossing. Make sure bugs don't eat them. Right. There's a lot. There's a lot involved. So this is not just work. It's just time. Okay. So, okay. So if you distill that pure concept of just speeding up a natural process. Right. And like, okay. So I was finding some things. Some pro. I accidentally found some pro GMO oh, no. stuff. There was one on Scientific American that was very interesting. One of them was saying that we manipulate the natural world all the time. Like eyeglasses are manipulating something natural, right? Correcting something that goes by. In yeah. vitro fertilization is kind of a, it's not GMO, but it's kind of similar. I mean, you're selecting like viable embryos for. Mm, pretty, yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty that's similar. controversial to some people. Yeah, but so what I think we need to be careful of when we say that all GMOs are bad is distilling out the technology versus the application. Okay, Because fair. The, the application of the technology depends on if it's good or bad, not the technology itself. Okay, so let's go back to the technology itself. Right. That's a very important distinction, I So like. if you just insert a known gene or delete a known gene... What does in, that mean, insert or deleting a gene? So like, like if... You just said I'm not putting anything into the cucumber, but inserting a gene sure sounds like you're putting something in there. It seems like it. Um, <laughs> so let's say I had a crop of wheat that was through all these crosses and through this evolutionary selection process where farmers throughout the decades or centuries have selected this one wheat that is really good at growing in low water climates. Okay. And I wanted to give that genetic material to a soybean crop so I could grow the soybeans in similar fields to that wheat crop. Okay. I have like 10 questions, but okay. keep going. So one of the ways you could theoretically do that is to cross-pollinate those species. But they're different species. But they're different thing. species, right? So, even so work? it's not going to work very well. Okay. And right? if it does work, then the, those hybrid offspring probably there won't be able to There are probably produce. a lot of other issues yeah. going on. Okay. Now, instead, I could just take the genes from the wheat plant that allow it to grow in that climate and give them to the soybean plant. Okay, for some reason, that idea fills me with like a sense of disgust. Like, I don't want... Okay. That grosses me out. But you're willing to eat the wheat. Yes. And you're willing to eat the soybean. Yes, non-GMO. But But for some reason... The gene that goes from the wheat to the soybean... Yeah. Which is natural and non-toxic because you were willing to eat the wheat. All of a sudden, that soybean crop, not edible. Would it be possible that that soybean could also, through through uh, agricultural methods, naturally develop a drought-resistant strain? Potentially. On Potentially. Well, we don't over know for sure. several generations. Okay. So over the course of many, 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 many seasons, you could yeah. do the same thing that you could do in a laboratory in a couple days. I don't. I don't have a rational explanation for why it grosses me out. It just seems like not a good idea. Okay, why? Because it doesn't happen in nature. It's not natural. It doesn't happen in nature. I mean, I go, okay, so now I'm arguing against myself in my own head. There are plenty of things that happen in nature that are bad, like antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria. Yep. Or viruses or mutations that happen naturally that are no good for mm-hmm. us. Okay, so nature isn't always infallible or perfect on its right. own. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. Just because yeah. it's synthetic doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Can I back up for a second? Yes, back up for a second. So the first commercially available, truly genetically modified material was insulin. Well, now I feel like a jerk. So prior to the 1970s, the only way to get therapeutic doses of insulin was to harvest tons of pigs and cows, chop up their pancreas, distill out this tiny little bit of insulin, and then give that pig or cow insulin to a human. That's very sad. Right? So really, really, really hard to produce enough insulin for, for the amount of diabetics that we have now. Yeah. The solution to that was to grow insulin in yeast and E. coli through genetically modified means. So they used genetic engineering to give yeast and E. coli the genes to produce insulin. And arguably save probably th- hundreds of thousands of right. lives. And around the okay. 70s and 80s, this was a really controversial thing. Really? Because how do I know that that's a safe product? But the distilled out insulin from that procedure is identical to human insulin, right? So you're not even dealing with pig insulin anymore. It's you're identical with to human insulin. Human insulin okay. that you can then purify out and give to a human. That's amazing. So to argue that GMOs are just categorically bad based on some sort of sense of logic or feeling of disgust just because culturally that I might be primed to think that they're bad. Be, you know, because society I really... has been told that GMOs are bad. So any application of GMOs without analyzing the actual technology involved or the outcome is kind of how people are wired right now, which is kind of like saying all computers should be banned because people could potentially use them the wrong way. That's, and yeah. that's my concern with the GMO technology because... The benefits are huge long-term. Oh, it's a really powerful and technology. It's a very powerful technology. And because we can't market GMOs to the public, that whole toolbox is being eliminated. Basically, anything that gets labeled a GMO product is not going to work marketing-wise to most people, even yeah. if it's shown to be very beneficial. And that's typically because there are a couple of questionable cases that I'm sure you uncovered in your research. Yes, I have. That have have been kind of used as the poster child for all GMOs are bad. Right, yeah. As soon as you get some people abusing this a great power, then all of a sudden it gets a really bad public perception. And I would argue that that's similar to saying all computers are bad because some people can abuse it. I don't know, though, because if somebody makes a malicious website, I don't have to go to that website. If somebody makes a strain of corn and it like kind of dominates the market for corn all of a sudden. And I kind of don't have a choice whether to eat that or not. Like that really infiltrates my life in a, in a deeper way than just staying off the internet. You know what I mean? I I don't know. So, okay. So this gets into the second question, the second set of questions, Okay. the Pandora's box question. It's the, the ethical concern of how we're using this technology. Right. Okay. So, I don't want to name any names because apparently there have been some bad things happening to people who name names about corporations and talk about things specifically or specific products. So I don't feel comfortable calling anybody out. Does that sound fair? Sure. Okay. So one of the biggest things that I saw online is that people associate non-GMO with organic de facto, but actually they're different things, right? Yeah, completely different. One, as we've established, genetic engineering is a technology. Mm -hmm. Organic is a cultivation method. Okay. So you could have an organic GMO. 
You absolutely can have an organic GMO. You could create, like our wheat example, our wheat and soybean example, you could you could create a GMO soybean that was drought resistant. Yep. And then not put any artificial fertilizers or pesticides on it, and it could get organic certification, technically? Guess so, yeah. I guess, okay. In, in theory. I think the reason that people equate it with the two is because some of the most far-reaching instances of GMO right now are pesticide-resistant GMO strains. Yeah. So people associate the two so closely because that's been like kind of the only publicly understood example, I guess, besides insulin. Yeah, there are a few. Yeah. So, so and I can understand that because I've se- I saw a lot of research about how the pesticides that we've been using for these pesticide-resistant crops could cause a lot of problems for us and are causing okay. problems for us long-term. Yep. But I would argue that that's based on the chemical being used and not the GMO technology. Yeah. So, so this is why I call it a Pandora's box. Because so your problem is with the chemical agent being applied to the GMO plants. Right. But the GMO itself is not the hazard. Well, okay. So the argument that I saw was that the GMO could inhibit the plant from absorbing natural nutrients and it could inhibit the plant's natural immune system for fighting off diseases, which down the line could affect human beings and other beings like bees, like bee microbiomes. There's some emerging research I saw because nobody knows why the bees are dying right now. Right, but that's related to the chemical that's being applied to the plant. That's still, you think that's all related to the pesticide? the genetic modification that's used to be resistant to that plant. Yeah, but but the argument was that the genetic modification itself could cause changes in the plant's own immune system and ability to absorb nutrients. No? Yeah, so theoretically, I guess, but that would be dependent on what actual process they're manipulating to make it resistant. Okay, let's go back to the gene thing one. one and it's more. herbicide resistance, by the way. Herbicides, not pesticides. Yeah. So Weeds. the plant is getting an herbicidal resistance to the herbicides that they're putting on them. Okay. So they're killing other weeds and infectious yeah. plants. Yeah, so another danger. potential GMO, and this is fairly common these days, but not obviously for like broad commercialization, is to make crops and plant materials that produce insecticidal molecules. Oh. So basically giving the plants the ability to produce insecticides that bacteria that live in the soil produce naturally so that you don't have to use chemical products for the insecticides. And they can get very specific to the pests that target those plants. So I think part of my lack of understanding is really just goes back to the genetics themselves. Like I don't understand how the gene editing part works. And I know we can't explain that in five minutes. Well, so I can you give, you give a it quick, a shot. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you a quick two minute overview, two minute overview. Let's go. All right. So in this case, the insecticide is very specific to a caterpillar larva. So, you know, when you put this gene into the plant, the plant will start producing these proteins that the larvae don't like that the larvae don't like. And it's, very, very specific to these caterpillar larvae. You know, as far as the research goes, it's not impacting beetles, it's not impacting bees, it's not impacting anything higher order like mammals or anything. So because of that, it's much better for that ecosystem than broad spectrum insecticides that are typically used 
in commercial agriculture. So, so GMO could replace the use of pesticides, potentially. In this particular case, there's a very specific oh, wow. pest that targets a very specific crop. If you give that crop the ability to produce these proteins that target the caterpillar larva, then you don't need to broad-spectrum insecticide it because you're protecting it through the plant's natural ability to produce these things. Now, okay, that sounds very appealing. The question is, to your Frankenfoods question, what is the consequence of humans eating that crop that will then have that protein in it? Right. And the idea what if it hurts us? is that because there's all this research saying it's so specific to this larva and they know exactly the science behind it, that if we consume that protein, it's like any other thing. So it's similar to how antibiotics target bacteria, but they don't hurt us. Well, they hurt our gut microbiome. Well, but that's the bacteria. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I can see how appealing this is, but it just seems too good to be true. Like, it doesn't seem like we should be able to get away with doing things like that. Why? Well, some people would say you're playing God, like you're messing with processes. Like, there's, it just doesn't seem like... It takes so long to conduct scientific studies and scientific research, and most of the scientific studies are like, maybe we think it could be bad, we're not sure. You know, like, like for example, I found this big, huge study was, that was done on the most common herbicide that's used right now that most of the GMO crops are created to resist. And they said, we think it's carcinogenic. We don't know. Like, it's so, it's hard to conclude things. So, but again, it sounds like your issue is with the chemical compound being used and not the GMO itself. Okay, so this gets into argument category three, the corporation category, right? So companies pay for research it's to true. develop things like GMO. Yep. Why do they pay for research? Unfortunately, the way our economy works, they don't research things just for the good of humankind. They research it because it can eventually make them money and get them back the investment costs that they originally made. Because it's made. very expensive. Very expensive to research. It costs billions of dollars to research this stuff. Yep. So if you're going to research something and you're going to get funding for it. The hope is to make a profit on it The hope is to at least get your money back. Right. And create some jobs, right? So wouldn't a corporation be incentivized to push a GMO product through because it can make them money in the long run? For example, not only can they sell the herbicidal resistant soybean, but they can also sell the herbicide itself and then also throw their weight around with lawsuits to anyone who would try to challenge them or call them out on the fact that this herbicide is not as biodegradable as they once marketed or is this herbicide is not as safe as they once marketed or this herbicide has downstream effects like harming bee colonies and they didn't know about it, right? So corporations have incentive to make GMOs that specifically make them money, not that necessarily make the world better. Okay. So again, it sounds like you're cherry picking a very specific example to say that the technology is bad when it could just be that the application of the technology is bad. Well, and that's a very important distinction. And I'll give you that, you know, like what I'm talking about really is the ethics and the downstream effects. But yep. if the technology allows for bad applications, like I think we are right to hold it with some degree of suspicion. So can I counter? Yes, of course. All right, so all this stuff has to go through the FDA. Right? And, okay, and just dumb set of questions for about the FDA for a second. Yeah. I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I don't care. Okay. We know that the FDA is a trustworthy organization. There's a very rigorous process for getting FDA approval that includes clinical trials. 
hold on, let me put my tinfoil hat on for a second. No, but seriously, uh, the FDA is an independent organization. Is it a government organization? It's a governmental organization. Okay. And is it like funded by corporations? Are corporations no. part of it? Do they get to pay money to be part of it? No. How does it actually work? You have to submit very extensive, very thorough research data from very carefully regulated clinical trials in order to seek approval. And the approval comes by scientists? The FDA. The FDA are a collection? After review. Of independent scientists. Yeah. It takes a long time, right? And a lot of money. And a lot of a lot of money to get FDA approval? Yes. Well, because, that seems Because tough. the trials are very time-consuming and need to be thousands of patients. Okay. So, and it's a three-step process. The first one is dosing. The second one is small-scale patient health and wellness, or in this case, human wellness mm -hmm. and then clinical trial three is a much broader scale what's dosing to figure out what the therapeutic dose is okay that's for drugs for drugs okay. but for the case of gmos you would just say in a normal serving at x servings a day or whatever what is the toxic dose and the fda trials include long-term studies like over the course of a long period of time they're studying people and the effects of these well, things? Well, the average time to market is 13 years. 13 years. That's a long time. Yeah. So the, the idea that somebody in the lab would manipulate a crop and it would be on the shelf tomorrow is not true. It takes a really long time for the research to iron itself out, for all of the trials to happen, all the data, all the research. Because they're just as interested in the data as the consumer is in terms of is it viable? Is it going to be cost-effective? They don't want to get sued down the road, so right. they want to make sure they're putting out a good product. Hopefully, yeah. Is it possible that the FDA would approve something that turns out later is like, that was a bad idea, we shouldn't have done that? I mean, there are occasionally cases of the FDA pulling things off the market, but that happens in drugs and just about every... Any industry. industry. Yeah, we recall yeah. toys and stuff all the time that we didn't yeah. know were harmful. People yeah. used to have radiation in their watches. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> that's no good. I mean, as our understanding of things shift, then there are certainly things that you look back on and say, hey, like whole lead paint, you know, lead paint used yeah. to be the way to get white paint. We now know that it's probably not so good. Probably not so good. Yeah. And But our scientific understanding now is we talked about early in an earlier episode how we've mapped the human genome and we have a we have a pretty broad understanding now. A lot more than we did 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, if you want to cherry pick cases, then you can definitely find cases that don't stand up. But, you know, we have enough understanding about what genes do what in most cases that the technology itself isn't the problem. It's the application. Yeah. So it's fair to say that if the FDA approves something, we can be pretty confident that they've done all of their due diligence and that they're reputably approving something safe for us. So as a scientist, you can say that barring the application of GMO technology, you are pro-GMO technology. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to cherry pick a case where they put a really bad toxin into a plant and then said it was bad, yeah, that's because the application was bad. So it's perfectly fair to criticize or, or to critique the ethics and economy 100%. of GMOs. But that's not what's happening right now. 
It's but people are attacking the technology. Everything about GMOs is bad. Yeah. Which potentially is setting us up for this generation and this, um, you know, market to just hear the word GMO and instantly not want that product. That's what happens. And honestly, like when you walk through the grocery store right now, GMO free is a marketing ploy. It has nothing to do with the scientific application. GMO free is, hey, come buy my product because I'm GMO free. The way I know this is because they're marketing GMO free salt. Salt is mined from the earth. There's no gene involved in the manufacture of salt, <laughs> and there are people claiming to have GMO-free salt. Mm. I've seen GMO-free water. Really? This doesn't make sense. Like, if you actually, like, think about it, it is a marketing ploy. It's not an actual barometer of the safety of the product. Okay. Let's say that's true. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting in everything I was looking up, even as someone who was trying to find anti-GMO arguments, it was pretty r- remarkable that most of the anti-GMO stuff that I found was honestly not scientific. They weren't actually citing real scientific studies. They weren't, a lot of times they were linking to websites and saying, these are the six reasons you shouldn't have a GMO and the link wouldn't even work. Like the, it was like honestly very lazy argumentation. Yeah. So I, I'm, I was surprised, though, and I, I was finding a lot of stuff that talked about how many scientists are pro-GMO, and I, yeah. that surprised me as well. So think about it. Like, there's so many GMO technologies right now going into things like cancer research or gene therapy for certain genetic mutations. Or like we talked about, like, s- stool banks and fecal research. And that's making GMO humans, right? At some point, you have to kind of say, you know, this is a plant. It's still a plant. It just has a gene that makes it grow better in drought climates or produces an insecticide that's very specific to this one particular pest. And yes, there are ways to abuse it. You can make them resistant to the most nasty chemical in the world just so you can use that on your plants. But then that's a problem with the chemical you're putting on the plant. The application. Not the plant itself. If you grew that plant in the absence of that chemical, you should be perfectly willing to eat that plant. This is... Okay, this is like messing with me a little okay. bit. I want to believe you. I, okay, <laughs> let me start over. I want to be on board with this. Okay. Because of climate change specifically, we have a lot of people to feed. Mm-hmm. That, And especially with increasingly unpredictable weather patterns, having drought-resistant soybeans sounds like a really great idea. Yep. On the other hand, I don't know if I can fully get behind. I mean, the economic factors alone that I outlined earlier, I think should cause us to take it with a grain of salt, pardon the pun. Are there any possibilities or anyone doing interesting research with GMO that is from a humanitarian perspective? It seems like all the high profile examples we have of this are companies have gotten like massive flack, probably for good reason. So are there examples of people doing this research that you think are doing a great job. Yes. Let's hear about it. So I think crops that are utilized to decrease the reliance on water, very important, not only for drought climates, but also just the fact that water is a scarce scarce resource and we need to protect it. I think anytime you can increase the yield in small areas and limit deforestation and other, you know, 
bad climate applications by smarter use of farming technologies. I think that's definitely a positive. I think using things like this natural insecticide uh, producing plant to limit our need for broad spectrum insecticides and herbicides and all that kind of stuff is very important. But there are definitely ways, again, to abuse this technology. We need ethicists to work with science. You know, I think when it really comes down to it, the genetic engineering side is what's getting the flack. And to me, that's dangerous for a lot of reasons. But, you know, if you were to ask me what the most concerning parts about GMOs are, you haven't even touched on any of those. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, (laughs) let's flip the script now. You tell me your concerns. So allergens are an interesting topic because if you start exchanging genetic material beyond certain classes, so an example would be like if you took something from a tree nut, you know, the proteins in tree nuts are very well-known allergens for a lot of people. And if that got into some other product, that would potentially be very dangerous for somebody with a severe tree nut allergy. So if somebody like picked up a box of crackers and it had a, a tree nut GMO product in it, right. then they could potentially be allergic to that. Right. So I'm, I'm all for GMO labeling if it's in a case like that. To me, that product, if it did have something with tree nuts in it, would automatically become the same level of scrutiny as a tree nut itself. So those kinds of concerns, I think, are important. So You know, I think there is a definite need for GMO labeling. I think right now, GMO labeling is, look at me, I'm safe because I'm GMO free, which I think we just highlighted a couple examples as to why that's a load of crock. But, you know, so I'm definitely pro GMO labeling. But in this current environment and public perception, GMO labeling is a death sentence for these products. Yeah. And that's concerning to me. So in order to get closer to the regulations that we need to actually keep people safe, we we need to overcome this public perception. So I think we're several decades away from ever getting true value out of this amazing technology because of the public perception issues. Okay, next question on my list. Could GMOs further antibiotic resistance? That was something I found on an anti-GMO site. Further antibiotic resistance. Could GMO, GMOs contribute to antibiotic resistance? Where did this come from? Uh, an anti-GMO website. Great. Yes. So I think what they're referring to, so because we don't give antibiotics directly to plants, <laughs> no. we don't just spread it over the plants, yeah. my guess is that they are referring to the use of really well-established laboratory methods that use canamycin and ampicillin and similar antibiotics for selection. What does that mean? So when you do this genetic engineering, you have a sequence of DNA that has your gene on it, right? So that's what you want to give to the plant. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to select for that gene, you basically propagate the vector that you're giving to the plant So the vector is the string of DNA. Mm -hmm. You do all this manipulation in bacteria. And that in order to select for the gene that you want, you include an antibiotic resistance gene on that cassette. Why? 
so that you can put antibiotics into the media and kill anything that doesn't get that gene. Because you want to make sure that you have a really high efficiency of getting that gene into the plants that you want to make GMOs. Interesting. So... And so the plant itself could become antibiotic resistant as a result of that process? I mean, it still contains the DNA inside because the cassette gets incorporated into the genome. But it's not like the plant is really ever going to pass that on to a pathogenic organism. Like, does the antibiotic resistance gene exist in the plant? Yes. Is the mechanism for how it's passed on concerning? In my opinion, no. Interesting. Okay. So what's the last thing you want to say about GMOs? You know, you've talked about how the technology you think from a scientific perspective is really amazing, even though we need to be responsible with it. Like what, what excites you about this? Yeah. So for me, it's really just kind of focusing on the technology itself and realizing that there's nothing scary about the technology itself and all the potential positive outcomes that could come out of good ethical GMO research that could potentially have great benefits for the general public, including, you know, reducing the reliance on fertilizers and insecticides and herbicides and those chemicals that I think are part of the reason why it's getting a bad flack right now. Yeah. And also just kind of being a better solution for, you know, drought areas and, you know, water's not becoming more abundant, it's becoming less abundant. And all these things that are potential sources of good and kind of getting people past the, oh, it's a GMO, it's automatically bad scenario. Yeah. Because, again, 40 years ago, we were having this debate about insulin, and now getting insulin is not controversial at all. Mm-mm. And that's all GMO insulin. And that, you know is a much better market. You don't have to have all the you know livestock to produce all of that. And um, I think there are similar advantages to plant-based GMOs and genetic engineering, but I think we're stuck in cherry picking a couple of bad examples rather than focusing on the potential for good. All right. Well, I appreciate your perspective. I really, I've, I'm glad I I did research and I've learned more about this because I realized that it's an issue that I thought I knew a lot about, but I really actually didn't. So that research was a valuable process for me. Yeah. And And if there is one takeaway, please do not buy GMO free salt. (laughs) Just please don't do it. (laughs) But do listen to our band, Spider Goats. Yeah, I don't think Spider Goats is actually happening. What? You're crushing my dreams. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I guess that's a wrap. Uh, If you have any questions about GMO or any comments that you want to talk to us about that or about our band or anything else you want to talk to us about, you can send us an email at soimarriedascientist at gmail.com. You can visit our website, soimarriedascientist.com. Find us on social media. We're in a bunch of places. You can like and subscribe to the show and spread the word because uh, that's how we keep the show going is to get people listening. It's to keep people listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Music by Lemonfest. Logo and marketing by Cambridge Creative Group. Edited and produced by Corey and Mel. See you next time. <laughs>